Thanks, Pam. Uh, any Ragbri riders here today? Hey, one, woo, woo. Yeah. I know we had like a dozen in our church. I think most of them elected not to be here, the recovering. What a week for Ragbri, um, but really fun I came through town. Okay, folks, uh, we're going to start with a game. And that is, you've just won a two-week vacation. All expenses paid. Congratulations. Uh, but there are two glorious options that you must choose between. The first option, option A, is to visit four cities over the course of these two weeks. Denver, San Francisco, Seattle, and Los Angeles. Option B, four national parks. Rocky Mountain, Redwood, Olympic, and Joshua Tree. Which do you choose? The parks or the cities? Okay, I'm going to give you two minutes to share in groups of two to four people around you. So share with those folks around you. Which would you choose and why? If you don't know one another near you, introduce yourself. Quickly, go. Okay, let's come back together. Uh, let's do a quick show of hands. Who picked the cities? Okay. Oh, wow. A very small minority. Who picked the parks? Raise your hand. Oh, I see some spouses, houses divided in our midst, too. I bet that was a fun conversation. Uh, well, this morning, we are going to consider finding God in our cities, in the city. And I, I know that we're perhaps more accustomed to thinking about finding God, especially when we think about experiencing awe and wonder. We, I think, and I think the poll shows, we tend to associate that more closely with nature and our national parks, uh, which is great. Nothing wrong with that. That's a gift. But we can also, I want us to consider, find God in our cities just as well. And it's tied similarly to that experience of awe and wonder. Now, personally, I love cities. I love crowds. I love the culture, the public transportation, figuring that out, getting lost, going the wrong direction on the subway in New York. Great times. Uh, my love for cities started early. I grew up just 45 minutes from Chicago. We sometimes took school trips to the Field Museum, Art Institute, Shedd Aquarium. My family would go to baseball games, go White Sox. Um, yeah, we would sometimes visit the Northside Beer Garden where they also play baseball. <clears throat> uh, later in high school, my friends and I would go to the city of Chicago at least once a month for shopping on Michigan Avenue. Uh, or concerts at the Aragon Brawl Room in the Metro, other venues, great times. It was then, though, in my teen years that my parents started coaching me on where to go in the city of Chicago and where not to go. And it was in this coaching that my naivete disappeared, and I learned that the city could be a dangerous place. And if you don't know what you're doing or where you're going, you can end up in the quote-unquote wrong neighborhood. Now, much later on, I learned that portrayals of the wrong neighborhood were often racist and simply racist stereotypes and borrowed on that. Uh, and that's a whole other message, so we'll leave that aside for now. But cities can be dangerous. There are much higher concentrations of people and people who do not know each other and so nearly everyone you come across in a city is a stranger. That means that everyone tends to be on guard. There's less trust and less reason to build trust because you never know if you're going to see those people again. So why waste the time? Poverty and injustice factor into all of this, of course. Now, this is shorthand, right? 
And we know that there are countless numbers of good, trustworthy people who live their daily lives in cities, working their jobs, raising their children, being good neighbors to one another. But the real and present danger of cities remains. And it's a danger that the Bible writers pick up on and point out frequently. When we read the Bible, particularly the Jewish Bible or Old Testament, we see warning after warning about cities. They are bad places. And it happens, that warning happens for a couple reasons. One is the issues of strangers. There's a lot of people and you can't know them. You cannot build trust with five million people. Can't work. And number two, it's a place where human power is concentrated. Humans are often unkind with the power we possess. And when it's concentrated, it can go very badly. Here's the fascinating thing, though. Many, many commentators have pointed out that there is a fascinating movement in the Bible regarding cities. Because the story of the Bible begins in a garden, and it culminates in a city. The movement is an emphasis on the natural created world to the human created world. And this is true of both the Jewish Bible, or Old Testament as we call it, so it starts in the Garden of Eden and ends with the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And it's also true with the New Testament, where the last book is uh, Revelation. It shares a vision of the new Jerusalem, the new city of God, coming down as a part of the new heavens and new earth. And this is the promise of a city. It is a promise of God taking what human beings create and coming to dwell in it. Think about that. Humans create it, and then God comes into it to dwell. Remarkable. And so cities can be full of God, and they can give witness to God's ways of justice and peace and love. That is the promise, at least, of the Bible, a vision the Bible offers alongside its many, many warnings about cities as bad places. So I want to explore that tension this morning. I want to visit some of those warnings and some of the bad things we see. And we're going to look at, alongside, a really awesome vision of the promise of cities and, and finding God in the midst of the cities. Okay? So let's begin with the warnings. I've limited this to the Jewish Bible and because in the New Testament, you get a very different perspective of cities. You get the Apostle Paul who starts using different cities in the Roman Empire as stopping points, as strategic places on his missionary journey. Um, but that's another story. But in the Jewish Bible, the first mention of a city in the Bible has an unfortunate origin. It comes to us in Genesis chapter 4, where we watch the first founder of a city who is none other than Cain. Cain, who kills his brother, is banished, and this is what happens. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Shout out to Steinbeck. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch, and he built a city and named it Enoch after his son Enoch. So the narrator is telling us this story, 
and wants us to be skeptical for three reasons, okay? Cain, it's, it's Cain. He just murdered his brother, and now he's going to go found a city, all right? He's traveling away from the presence of the Lord, that first line there. And then finally, he's in what's called the land of Nod, which in Hebrew means wandering, He's settling in a land called wandering. So it's this ironic contradiction which makes us feel uneasy and should. It's, it's, this is bad. Everything about this is bad. right? That's what the Bible's telling us. And I'm sorry to tell you, city lovers out there, it's only downhill from here in, in the Bible. So let's do a quick survey. And this is going to be quick. Number one, Babel. In Genesis chapter 11, we get the Tower of Babel story. It's a depiction of humankind united together in arrogance and pride to build a name for themselves by building a a tower to the heavens. And the idea here is that humankind is in direct conflict with God. We're going to get to heaven without you, God. It does not go well. Number two. Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis chapter 19, two cities whose notorious violence gets God's attention and incurs God's judgment. Um, I talked about this in my last teaching a few weeks ago and how this is not at all a scripture about LGBTQ. Please never let it be about that. Um, But it's about violence. And uh, you can listen to that teaching if you want more details on that. But let's keep going. Number three. The unnamed uh, Egyptian capital city in the book of Exodus, where Pharaoh dwells, all the Israelites are enslaved in Egypt, and they suffer through generations of oppression and violence. Every time you see a reference to Egypt in the Bible, it's bad, <laughs> because that's, it's associated with slavery, oppression. Quote-unquote, civilization has a big, bad, dark side, and it's violence, oppression, injustice. Um, And Egypt is treated like one big city because 95% of its population lives along the Nile. So it's just one long city. I think that's still true today. I don't know. Look it up. Uh, (laughs) Number four, in the book of Judges and Samuel, there are cities of the Philistines, the great enemy of Israel at that time. And the cities are strongholds of Philistine military and economic power. So they represent a grave threat to the well-being of Israel. Number five, Nineveh, the rise of the Assyrian Empire with its capital city, Nineveh. And the Assyrians, um, they they had this reputation that was like none other. Uh, And this is true actually in extra-biblical texts. Like we have other historians writing about Assyria, and what they always talk about is its violence. And the Bible picks up on this. So here's one verse about it. Woe, city of bloodshed, utterly deceitful, full of plunder, no end to the prey. The crack of whip and rumble of wheel, galloping horse and bounding chariot, horsemen charging, flashing sword and glittering spear, piles of dead, heaps of corpses, dead bodies without end. They stumble over the bodies. Gruesome, gruesome image from the prophet Nahum in the book of Nahum. And this is a summary of the glory of Nineveh, this awful, awful city. And then finally, the best for last, Babylon. Babylon, the center of the Babylonian Empire, responsible for the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. It's difficult to underestimate just how evil Babylon's reputation was in the consciousness of Israel and the writers of the Bible. Babylon is Gotham City. 
on steroids. It's dark, it's corrupt, it's violent. So evil is Babylon that it has continued to be used as the metaphorical center of evil for centuries after the Babylonian Empire is not a thing. Centuries of literature is like Babylon, you know, the great evil beast, Babylon. And that is also picked up in our book of Revelation in the New Testament, written 600 years after the fall of the Babylonian Empire. It's still the bad, bad city. Okay, so, um, whoops, here, let's do this. Here it is. Cities of the Bible, they're all bad. <laughs> and you might be wondering, like, is there a good one? No, there's not. <laughs> like, there's, there is not a good city featured in the Bible. They are all places where human power is concentrated, and the Bible writers are very, very skeptical of human power. Now, there is, however, one city that comes with a promise and a vision of something else, an alternative of what a city could be and ought to be, and that is the city of Jerusalem. This is a photo of modern-day Jerusalem, looking very nice. Jerusalem is the political, religious, and cultural center of Israel. And it's really the psychological center because it's the place where the temple is built, the place where God dwells. And the idea is that when you came to Jerusalem, you came there to meet God. That was the expectation. You, know, you would be ushered into God's presence. You would feel God's presence in the city and in the temple. And you would have a promise that you would see a model of the best kind of human living that would be structured in righteousness and justice and peace. At least that was the hope. Um, it doesn't work out that way in many ways of the stories. That's why I say it's, there's no real examples. But the vision and the promise is there. There are lots of Bible verses and passages where uh, Jerusalem is, is demonstrated as that hopeful city on a hill. And we're going to look at just one of those this morning. This is our last scripture that we'll look at. Um, and this is, the, the scripture we're going to look at is a worship song about Jerusalem, which is just, I love it. Like, it's a worship song about a city. And you can imagine, like, us singing a worship song about Cedar Rapids. You know, like, good morning, Sanctuary. We're going to kick it off with one song, love song to Cedar Rapids. Praise God. It's, I mean, it's amazing to consider, but that's exactly what we're going to see here. And we're going to see in the psalm the name Zion, which is another nickname for Jerusalem, kind of like Athens of the Midwest for Iowa City. Y'all heard that before? Anyone? Yeah? No? Okay. I, I heard that when I first arrived. It was the 90s. And uh, the Athens of the Midwest, I was like, that is the most arrogant thing I've ever heard. <laughs> and I absolutely love it and belong here. <laughs> That's how it felt. <laughs> okay, Psalm 48, the love song to Zion. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. God's holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Listen to that. 
Mount Zion in the heights of Zaphon, in the city of the great king, within its citadels, God has shown a sure defense. We ponder your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. Your name, O God, like your praise, reaches to the ends of the earth. It's, it's you know, the center is Jerusalem and it radiates out to cover the earth. Your right hand is filled with victory. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the towns of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Walk about Zion. Go all around it. Count its towers. Consider well its ramparts. Go through its citadels that you may tell the next generation that this is God. Our God forever and ever. God will be our guide forever. Woo. This is a love song. This is a love song. I mean, the writer is smitten, head over heels in love with the city of Jerusalem. They're walking around going, oh my gosh, wow, wow, amazing. That's amazing, awesome. They send a dozen postcards. They hit every falafel joint. They pay way too much for cheap souvenirs. This is the best experience of their lives. Jerusalem. And then they write this love song when they get home because they are in love with this city. Now, there are a few details that stand out particularly I want to draw our attention to. So the first is this really kind of strange reference. But we have a reference to the heights of Zephon, right in the middle there. Mount Zion and the heights of Zephon. What is that? Zephon was the traditional mountain home of the storm deity Baal. You'll see this deity by name come up a lot in the Bible writings. And it's sort of a rival deity. People would think of Baal as an actual god who is a rival god with the God of Israel. I know that can sound strange to us because most of us assume there's just one God and one God only. But really, there's a lot of stories and imagery in the Bible about that. This is basically saying that the God of Israel has displaced Baal's seat kicked Baal out, and God has established God's throne. And what comes with God is God's ways of peace and justice. That becomes the norm as opposed to the status quo that's usually there in cities where a lot of people live in oppression and injustice under Baal. So God replaces Baal and comes in. Second detail, we've got this lovely uh, detail, let the towns of Judah rejoice. So Judah is the larger region around Jerusalem. It's a little bit like Illinois is to Chicago, right? You've got the big center and the large area around it. And the image here is that when the center, Jerusalem, thrives, then all of the small towns and villages benefit so imagine for a moment, imagine rural America cheering, advocating for the success and prosperity of America's cities. What if America's small towns, the small places, the villages out in rural Iowa, rural Illinois, were looking at cities and hoping for the best, wishing that our cities would be places of justice, where, where everyone was thriving in our cities, 
And the idea of a mutuality or a reciprocity between the center, the big cities, and all the small towns. Unfortunately, often the case today is that small towns are pitted against cities. And uh, I think that's kind of the political thing happening in our country right now. This psalm is imagining an alternative to that, where there is that mutuality of mutual blessing between the cities and the small towns. Okay, finally, the last detail is the last image of the song. Walk about Zion, go around it, count its towers, ramparts, citadels, that you may tell the next generation, this is God. This is remarkable. The psalmist is equating human-made structures with the presence of God. They're saying that God's presence is in these human-made buildings. And what they're experiencing as they're walking through Zion is awe and wonder. Wow. Amazing. The Field Museum of Chicago. Look at that glorious building, its architecture. When I walk in, it's amazing. All the people, the joy, the delight. This is an amazing cultural place. Could God be in this? The Empire State Building in NYC, it hurts your neck to look to the top. You look up forever. It's impressive. It's amazing. Go to the top and look out over Central Park, over the whole city. Our Ped Mall, our beloved Ped Mall in Iowa City, we go, we watch children playing, we watch people partying. Sometimes gets out of hand, sometimes it's fine. The library in the Ped Mall, beloved restaurants, places to hang out and chill, benches, fun games and activities. This psalm invites us to consider that all of our human-made places are places where God can dwell. This is God. It's a model for us. This writer finds God in Zion and Jerusalem. Today, we are invited to find God anywhere and everywhere in our cities. Story time. Uh, Last summer, my wife Allie and I were on a date downtown Iowa City, and I wanted to show her one of my new hangouts Uh, which is a building on the University of Iowa campus. It's called the Psychological and Brain Sciences Building on Iowa Avenue. Who's been inside that? Anyone? Okay. Yeah. Half a dozen or so. Um, The building is amazing, okay? So it's a newer building the last, like, I don't know, three to five years or something. And, like, I think even the ribbon cutting was, like, just before, right during the pandemic. So it's kind of got lost in there, unfortunately. Um, but so here's the building that you can see a uh, photo outside of Iowa Avenue. And then the interior space is just a little section of it, but tons of interior light, lovely furniture, and very few people are hanging out at 8 a.m. when I like to do work. So I go there and I just open my laptop and do some work and chill in this beautiful light space. And I feel young again, like I'm an undergrad. It's so cool. Um, so I, I wanted to show Allie, and it's, it's 6 p.m. one night, and I think students had just been related, the undergrad classes had just ended, finals had just happened. So um, Allie and I, we go to the building, and there's no one there. We have the run of the place. 
And we start just walking around. We're enjoying the artwork. There's tons of artwork. And then one of the cleaning staff sees us, and he strikes up conversation, just asks what we're doing. We're just like, oh, we're just hanging out, you know, enjoying the place. And he starts playing the role of the host, of the tour guide, and starts giving us a tour guide of the space. He's telling us about the architecture, about the building itself, the history, telling us about all about the labs and the work they're doing. He's going through this, I mean, the artwork I mentioned, but he's telling us specific things about it, kind of pointing out things to us. And then he invites us to go up to the terrace. I'm like, terrace? What's the terrace? I didn't know there was a terrace. So we ride up the elevator and we come out to this amazing space, this view. So that looks to the north off the building. That's Lynn Street in the background, the church. Uh, there you can see. It goes towards the north uh, of Iowa City. And we're hanging up there with this amazing tour guide in this unbelievable building in our city. And this guy was just delighted to share the joy of where he worked. It was amazing. We stood there just taking it in, full of awe and wonder and gratitude. This is God. Psalm 48. This is God. Finding God in our cities, the places that human beings have built, where God can dwell. Cities that can receive Jesus' call to justice and peace. And we can be a part of that. We can collaborate with what God is doing. We can remind our friends and neighbors of what it means to pursue justice and peace. And as we do that work, our cities, excuse me, can be transformed. And they can fulfill part of that vision, that promise of God in our cities, God with us, blessing us. That's the invitation for us today. Uh, so you don't need to pick Denver and Los Angeles. You can still pick your national parks. But as we hit those city centers, can we open our eyes? Can we let that feeling of awe and wonder stir us in the same way that the awe and wonder we might experience at a national park stirs us? Can we be open to finding God in our cities and partnering with what God is doing there in Iowa City, in Cedar Rapids, North Liberty, all of our cities. I want to end with a prayer exercise, if you're willing to join me. So I want to invite you to recall a time when you were in a city, it could be one of our own, where it was nice, okay? You were having a good experience in a city. And we're going to take that to God in prayer and just remember that moment where it was nice and we were in a city. It could be when you were a child, Maybe a first time at a baseball stadium, or it could be recent from current life, okay? All right, so go ahead and get comfortable. We'll bring that to God in prayer, and I'll prompt us along. So picture yourself in the city. You can alternatively just list the things you remember about it, or if you, have, if you can imagine it, go ahead and just start imagining yourself in that place. What are you seeing? Recall as many details as you can about the city. What are the colors you see? What did it smell like? What sounds do you hear? Was it loud or quiet, crowded or not? 
What people do you see? What are they doing? And now let's ask God, God, where are you in the midst of this memory? Where are you in the city? As you ask God that question, sometimes you might even begin picturing Jesus literally there with you in the city and see what Jesus is doing. How does Jesus feel about that city? Maybe you just have a sense of God's presence. Take note of what that feels like. How does God feel about the city? God, as we hear that psalm, that love song uh, about Jerusalem, would you help us similarly to use a lens of love on our cities, to love our cities the way you love them? And we do pray for our cities. We ask that you'd help them continue to be places of peace and justice. Help us to follow you and claim our our role in that as followers of Jesus. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.